0: I was remembering the opening talk um, many eons ago. Remember when that was a few nights ago, this might just be a little loud. We can make it a little quieter. Yeah. So in that opening talk, I was using a metaphor for the seven factors of awakening, and I mentioned um, the image of a mirror, a mirror that had. Dust on it, dirt on it that needed to be cleaned so that the essence, the nature of the mirror could shine through. And that was very much like the nature of our own mind. And perhaps you are uh, seeing some of that dust. You know, some of the uh, uh, what we might call obscuration on the mirror of the mind. Because it's often what we first encounter when we come to a retreat, the first couple of days, we, that's what we, we meet. But the good thing is that the reason that we can see it, the reason we can know that that's there, is because of the luminosity is because of the essential nature of the mind that can see, that can know our experience. So by seeing and knowing what's happening in our mind and our body and our experience, we can begin to work with it. Sometimes in this practice we use the word purification, it's almost like purifying that, those obscurations, purifying the um, sometimes called defilements of mind, that which actually interferes from us having uh, direct access all the time to the luminosity, to the radiance, to the brilliance of our nature, of who we are all the time it's possible this is what the buddha pointed to that this we can wake up we can recognize the essence or the nature of our being the buddha uses the words clarifying our view it's the uh, first factor on the eightfold noble path wise view really beginning to see more clearly the way things are, when the mind is clarified, when the view is clarified, when we start to know this view or have wisdom uh, arising with the view, then we can see the Dharma, we can know the Dharma, this reality, the way things really are, which Eugene was so beautifully speaking about last night, this reality. Waking up to this dhamma, the Dharma. The difficulty is that we don't really see so clearly all the time, even though that really is possible for us. That's that's in a way the realization or the real, the rec- the realization the in, the in, the awakening of the Buddha. That continuity, that that. Um, Uh, immovability of that clarity of mind. So the Buddha went to the heart of the problem right away and he asked us to investigate what obscures this mind from knowing its luminous nature. He invited us to find out and that's really the path that we're walking, the Eightfold Noble Path. The Buddha said... Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by the attachments that visit it. It's colored by the attachments that visit it. I like that translation as well, because it it, it talks about the attachments as visitors, uh, coming to visit, which means they can also leave. You know, it means they, maybe sometimes they move in, you know, unpack their baggage for a while, you know, uh, you wonder why they're staying as long as they are and wish that they would move out. (laughs) But the good thing is that they can move out and often they do move out. They're just visitors. You know, they come and they go. And more and more we can start to know that quality of ease and restfulness and present moment attention and clarity, more and more. That's what we gain as we practice it. There's a maturity in the practice uh, as as we continue to put in our energy and our effort. So these conditioned patterns, these attachments that come and visit us, these are the obscurations this is what, what clouds our view. So we can't see so clearly. Our perception gets somewhat distorted. And these are called habits of mind, conditioned habits of mind. And the, 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 they fit into these three categories very nicely. Uh, greed, uh, aversion or hatred, and confusion. Mm-hmm. These sometimes called uh, the defilements or the kalesa, the, um, the, the difficult mind states. We get attached and we get attached, we get aversive, we don't like things, we like things, we don't like things and we get caught in that whole kind of momentum of the, that activity and it gives rise to confusion and it not only gives rise to confusion but the whole attachment and aversion arise from confusion to begin with because we're not seeing so clearly so these are the attitudes that are operating in the background of our mind. We're trying to bring this awareness, we're trying to cultivate enough mindful attention so we can see how these forces are operating in our mind. They operate. One teacher, Utejaniya, who I've been uh, studying with for the past few years, he talks about it being in the background attitudes that are in the background of the mind that that are influencing that are coloring that are shaping our our perception and 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 we don't know it and there are many many layers of this of this coloration in the mind but it's possible to begin to see this to know this there's a thought a thought of a strong greed or attachment Um, maybe one of those thoughts have arisen for you in the last couple of days. Maybe, you know, whatever whatever that object of your attachment is, you know, uh, wanting your um, room to be a particular way or wanting the food to be a particular way, wanting your body to be a particular way. People here or the teachers or the teachings or your experiences, um, the weather, whatever it is, We can see how we can get so uh, intensely wanting experiences and things to people to be a certain way and then the aversion and the hatred and the the disappointment, frustration, the impatience that arises and we get caught in that cycle, in that circle of momentum, of, of dukkha. That's the dukkha that that Eugene was speaking about last night, which, which, as he said, it's usually translated as suffering, but it's often, you know, just this sense of dissatisfaction. We're not satisfied. We don't just, un, it's just, sometimes it's just a, um, an uneasy feeling that sometimes we can't even identify so well, but we just don't feel so good. We feel grumpy or irritable, or moody, we just don't like it. You know, we, we all know those kinds of mind states. Nothing wrong with that. We're just trying to understand. We want to bring some more understanding of what's giving rise to these particular states of mind. And is, is it obscuring? Is it blocking a deeper awareness, a deeper knowing, an access to our, our wisdom and our uh, clarity? because when these uh, attitudes are not seen these forces are not seen they shape our experience and they give rise to our suffering to our dissatisfaction so we're really so so tonight i'm i'm ta- i want to talk about the third factor of energy energy Talked about mindfulness. Talked about investigation and energy. Tonight's energy, and and the Buddha speaks about taking the our energy. We're all, as human beings, we have energy. That's the life force, the vitality of our of our being. And and directing this energy, turning this energy towards the Dharma, towards liberation, towards the. Uh, clarification and the understanding of what gives rise to our suffering so that we can bring it to an end because it's possible. Because it's possible to bring it to an end. And he uh, his great line. He said, if, if I did not think it was possible, I would not ask you to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like a, a, a kind and compassionate. Uh, invitation for us. If I didn't think it was possible, I wouldn't ask you to do it. So one of the frameworks, there's, you know, in in Buddhism, there's all these lists. You know, I've already said, you know, the eightfold path is a a list. You know, the seven factors of awakening is a list. One other frame, and then we had the five hindrances, which is a list. So another framework where the Buddha speaks about the direct, the directing of our energy, is he speaks about what's called the four great efforts. The four great efforts, which is really the working with our mind, directing our attention towards our mind in a way that we begin to understand these causes and conditions that are giving rise to our, to our pain and the causes and the condition, conditions that release us from this pain. So the, the first two are to avoid and overcome the unskillful uh, patterns of mind. Mm-hmm. To avoid and overcome. And what we do is we use skillful means of of restraint and patience and letting go, uh, kindness to work with these difficult states when they arise of, of greed and, and aversion and all the, all the troublesome uh, uh, mind states that can arise for us. And then the second part. There's, those are the first two, and then the second two are turning the mind towards the, the the wholesome or the skillful, beautiful qualities of mind, and to arouse and maintain these positive and beautiful qualities. When, when to help them arise and to help sustain them once they arise. So these. So the seven factors of awakening would be these. These qualities of mind, the mindfulness, the investigation, energy, joy, equanimity, tranquility, concentration. uh, were Really, those are qualities that we want to cultivate and develop and induce, along with all the other ones that we practice with and and, uh, uh, learn about, patience, truthfulness, uh, morality, um, loving kindness, compassion, I mean, it goes on and on, these very beautiful qualities of our heart and mind. We want to arouse those and then maintain those. Not just arouse them, but find ways for those to continue, ways for those to, to be, maybe, begin to... to the, the, the balance, so the balance starts to shift where there's more of the beautiful qualities that arise and less of the not-so-beautiful qualities that arise in the mind and heart. The practice really starts helping us shift that. So we're, we, when we're working with our energy and our effort, that's essentially a frame we can think about or consider of what we're actually doing in our practice. Because really, when we speak about the Dharma and awakening to the Dharma, we want to uh, see, to want to know and to understand what are those conditions that that interfere with us being able to see the way things really are. To see, to see ourselves, to see others, to see this world, this existence, the way it really is. With a clear, uh, a clear mind. So we start with our practice of mindful awareness, that's where we started. Called satipatthana. The satipatthana. Sati is mindfulness. Patthana the foundations. And it really means. I, I sometimes I, I've heard that satipatthana can even be used as a verb, where we're, we're practicing the satipatthana, uh, uh, being being with the satipatthana, where we're it's translated as placing mindfulness near or attending with mindfulness. So we tend to the mind, we tend to the body, we tend to the feelings, we attend to the dharma with mindfulness, satipatthana. But the mindfulness is not enough. We can't just practice the mindfulness. It's, it's just one factor and I think it's really good to consider that because I mean, mindfulness has become pretty popular in our culture these days. And there are other factors that are actually as important that we do need to consider as well. And the first three factors of the seven factors of awakening actually work together. So you have mindfulness, investigation, and energy. Mindfulness, investigation, and energy. And when the mind is in a natural, uh, naturally balanced state, those three factors naturally are in place. They naturally arise. You can think about um, a child, a child, a happy child. We can think about an unhappy child, but in a child that's happy and enjoying and having fun, that childlike wonder about the world you know there's such brightness and presence and excitement and enthusiasm and wanting to know this and wanting to know that and wanting to get involved in all these different things can't get enough it's like you know the kid in the candy store life is just so fascinating you know so in that mind in the mind of a child there's the there's the mindfulness there's the curiosity and the interest the investigation of wanting to know everything and there's energy bright energy radiant energy that's what's so attractive as well when we're with children just we can we can ride on that on the high in a way of those beautiful qualities that are being expressed through the child You know, maybe there's not as much wisdom because they're still children, so there's a wisdom that has to be developed in that mind. But those qualities are present. Just as they're present in our mind when the mind is balanced, when the mind is relaxed, when the mind is open, we're naturally curious, naturally interested, naturally present. And there's a certain quality of enthusiasm, and interest and curiosity, we want to know. And with that, there's a kind of love, I think Eugene spoke about this too, a kind of love that arises when we become more intimate, in contact with, really present with our experience. And yet what can happen is we, we, it's easier to do that when we like the experience, maybe not so easy to do when we don't like our experience. And yet we see the problem in that. You know, then we get caught in our attachments and our aversion and our liking and our not liking and our wanting and not wanting. And then we're kind of back where we started. So therefore we need to be, if we're, if we're interested, you know, be curious about that. What can we understand about that? Can we bring energy to understand how we got back in that cycle again of wanting and not wanting, attaching and averse, and being aversive? So we seem to cycle around, we seem to cycle around those patterns, but with some understanding about what this path is, then we can return to these factors of mindfulness, investigation, and energy, bringing some energy. I'll talk a lot more about balancing that energy so that we can can actually be present with what's occurring and learn and discover and have some love of this journey really loving this journey that we're on. The mind just opens more and more as, as we walk along. So these are actually the three factors that drive our practice. The mindfulness, the investigation, and the energy. That's really all we need to be concerned about. That's actually something that's workable. We can work. We can cultivate the, the mindfulness. We can cultivate the investigation. We can work with our energy. That's that's the driver in our practice. And what we find is, in the beginning of a retreat, we're 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 directing the, that those factors mostly towards the hindrances. You probably have seen that. Right? There's a lot of new sleepiness and restlessness. Doubt arises. We want that... the attachment and the aversion can be quite strong. In the beginning, the mind is less settled, the mind is less tranquil. So we're, we're, we're bringing those qualities to these strong mind states. And then, and I would imagine you're starting to see this already, then, the, then those hindrances, those strong forces of the mind start to settle. And the mind becomes a bit more soft, more open, more relaxed, more present, more engaged, more c- capacity for interest, for the energy, and then I'll talk more about the energy, but the energy is more available. This is what starts to happen al- along, as we practice along the path. And then these three factors then actually become the, the cause for the next four factors to arise. The factors of joy, the factor of tranquility, the factor of concentration, the factor of equanimity. It's said that those four factors are effects of our practice. They're really not something that we can create. There's not something we can develop. They're not something we can make happen. You can't kind of make joy happen. You can't make equanimity happen. You can't make tranquility happen. But the but without the investi- without the mindfulness investigation and the energy being fairly balanced in a natural way, they may not arise. And so so as we work more fully with the first three factors, then we start getting the goodies. We start really getting the goodies in our practice. This is what the Buddha, this is from one of the texts of the Buddha from the Dhingya Nikaya, Sutta number two, for those who'd like to know that. So the Buddha says, and when he knows that these five hindrances have left him, gladness arises in him. From gladness comes delight. From the delight in his mind, his body is tranquilized. With a tranquil body, he feels joy, and with joy, his mind is concentrated. And with this delight and joy born of detachment, which is the equanimity, he so suffuses, drenches, fills, and Iridates his body that there is no spot in his entire body that is untouched by this delight and joy born of detachment this detachment being where the um, the the pat the, the the thoughts and the then the sensations and the feelings and the senses they're just not pulling in the same way because the joy and the delight the 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 inner fulfillment starts to rise and his entire body is infused with this delight so this is the this is where how how the practice begins to develop for us so so as long as we stay focused on our mindfulness we keep cultivating our mindfulness the investigation and the energy then something will happen because that's how this how the dhamma works the joy naturally arises the concentration naturally comes tranquility and equanimity So the question I think that is asked when we focus on the factor of energy is how much effort really is needed to be aware? How much effort really is needed to begin to awaken to the natural mind where these factors are already available already, where our, where our mind is already infused with these qualities. I think a couple times Eugene has already asked us to see if you could um, not be aware. Right, he said, try not being aware. I mean, I think it's interesting, because when he did it the first time, it was like, well, the <laughs> awareness is pretty strong right now. I don't think I could stop it. You know, and it, and it reveals something. You know, it, it reveals in some ways that, that effortless quality, that, that it, it, we say effortless because the awareness is natural. The awareness is already present, it's already here. So, so we can see in that instant that it doesn't, there's no effort that's needed. That's a nice little trick, actually. We b- might be able to do that for ourselves when we think we're having trouble being aware. Just say, well, s- then just don't be aware <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> Probably just kind of pop, right? Oh yeah, well, I am aware, right? So it points to this kind uh, of natural effortless quality. So, so in some ways I don't know if awareness is actually the problem, you no, know? Because awareness is, is existent, it's natural, it's, it's the nature of, of who we are. It seems that really more our problem is the continuity of that awareness, right? It's, it's having that awareness be sustained is not losing that awareness because it seems that Things happen where we, kind of like, where was I the last, sometimes people say, whole day? Where was I this whole last month? Someone I know said, I don't know where I was for 12 years. You know, because she was an addict at the, during those 12 years. She doesn't have much recollection at all of what she where she was for those 12 years. Because it seems like that awareness, again, what's pointed to is that awareness can be obscured that's our predicament it's the predicament that, that, some, that, that some, some, the patterns the forces of mind come in and, and the awareness just seems unavailable inac- inaccessible so what we're uh, trying to do is to set conditions in place so that we can begin to, to, to uh, develop some momentum with our awareness So the awareness is more and more stabilized. John was speaking about this earlier, too, that our awareness is more stabilized. It's it's more firm. It's more steady. So So the awareness is more available, moment to moment to moment. And as we practice and we put some energy... Uh, and some diligence and some persever- perseverance in the practice, then we get the effects. We get the results. That's how it works. That's how the the dhamma works. The mind starts to brighten. The mind starts to be home more of the time. So, in the beginning of the retreat, we do, it does take a little bit more effort. There's certain patterns. There's certain uh, conditions that res- sometimes we call it residue from our ordinary life where maybe we've got pretty distracted or we've got off track or we get pulled into a lot of different things and we maybe haven't focused so much on the awareness and investigation and in our energy taking such good care even if we have there's still all the impressions of, our, of, of, the, of our, the kind of lifestyle that many of us are engaged right now, which is a very fast and demanding and um, um, lot, lots going on these days, you know, that we need to attend to. So in some ways it makes our practice even more uh, urgent or more necessary. So when we come to a retreat, it takes more a little more effort, it takes a, a little bit more diligence to keep coming back, to keep coming back, and that's what we have to do to train the mind, to gain some momentum, to start to establish some steadiness, is just come back, come back, come back. And someone uh, once used this example of a, a beginning of retreat would be like um, riding, riding a scooter, like one of those little scooters with the two wheels, and so if you're trying to ride the scooter, in the, to get the scooter going, you have to put your foot down and, and push and push and push and push to get some momentum going on that scooter. And then once you get the momentum going, you can just jump on the scooter and take off. And especially if you've got a little bit of an incline, you could just ride for a long time. So, so we, we need to kind of push and tap and push and tap and push and tap to kind of, you know, get things going. But once we do, that, the concentration starts to build a little bit more because we've returned again and again. We start feeling a little bit more focused, more one-pointed, more present. We have a little bit more stability, a little bit more firmness of the mind. And then we don't have to hold on so tightly to those objects that we've used for support, like the breath or the, the hearing Or, you know, sometimes we use the metaphrases or, you know, to help us to come back. We have different mantras that might help us come back. We can let them go more because the mind, the awareness is stable. We're here. We don't need those supports quite as much. So sometimes I have to remind people who actually have a pretty stable awareness that you don't have to keep coming back to the breath. You can open up the awareness now and just notice what else is happening in your experience. There's a whole lot more going on. The breath is just one experience. So once the awareness is more bright, more open, it's just everything's available to start being interested in. I mean, this experience is fascinating, human experience, this experience of mind and body and, and the senses and the nature and this existence and the consciousness and awareness and all these questions about, what, why am I even here? Eugene said last, last night, like, are we curious about who am I? What is this? You know, I and mean, we can just start opening up because there's some uh, stability for this investigation. There's energy for this investigation. I wanted to read this, um, uh, this translation uh, from the text because it's, it's one that we, a lot of us have heard and it fits really well here with working with our energy because it's one of the things that we need to start paying attention to and be interested in is is how how is our energy flowing? How how what is the quality of our mind? What what is the Uh, happening that we might not be able to be so present? Are we sleepy? Are we tired? Are we having a lot of strong thoughts? Are we caught up in memories? Are we having uh, fantasies? Uh, What's actually occurring that's kind of zapping our energy, that's keeping us from being able to be balanced and natural and present? And so there's this um, very famous um, story called the Parable of the lute. And in uh, over the years, this has got uh, contemporary. uh, It's become much more contemporary, where the teachers have talked about um, the the strings of a guitar and how we need to have the strings on a guitar just right to get the right pitch. And if they're too tight, you have to loosen them. And if they're too loose, we have to tighten them. But I love the um, the original translation from the text. So I'll just read it and you know see how it fits here. Once the Blessed One lived near Rajagaha Rajagaha and Vulture Peak. At that time, while the Venerable Sona lived alone and secluded in the cool forest, this thought occurred to him. Of those disciples of the Blessed One who are energetic, I am one, yet my mind has not found freedom. Now the Blessed One, perceiving in his own mind the Venerable Sona's thoughts, left Vulture Peak, and as speedily as a strong man might stretch his bent arm or bend his stretched arm, he appeared in the cool forest before the venerable Sona. And he said to the venerable Sona, Sona, did not this thought arise in your mind? Of those disciples of the Blessed One who are energetic, I am one, yet my mind has not found freedom. Yes, Lord." Well, tell me, Sona, in earlier days were you not skilled in playing stringed music on a lute? Yes, Lord. And tell me, Sona, when the strings of that lute were too taut, was then your lute tuneful and easily playable? Certainly not, O oh Lord. And when the strings of your lute were too loose, was then your lute tuneful and easily playable? Certainly not, O oh Lord. But when, Sona, the strings of your lute were neither too taut nor too loose, but adjusted to an even pitch, did your lute then have a wonderful sound and was it easily playable? Certainly, O Lord. Similarly, Sona, if energy is applied too strongly, it will lead to restlessness. And if energy is too lax, it will lead to weariness. Therefore, Sona, keep your energy in balance and in this way, focus your intention. And afterward, he said, yes, O Lord. And afterward, the venerable Sona kept his energy balanced and in this way, focused his attention. And the venerable Sona, living alone and secluded, diligent, ardent, and resolute, soon realized here and now through his own direct knowledge that unequaled goal of the holy life. I find that as the mind comes into more balance and there's more stability uh, and freedom from the hindrances from the strong forces of mind, when the sleepiness isn't so strong, the restlessness is more balanced, there's still the need to work with energy because we are humans and our condition is always shifting and changing Sometimes we feel well, sometimes we don't feel well. There are different uh, responsibilities or commitments or unexpected things that happen. There are losses, there's grief, there's um, all kinds of things that we're dealing with all the time and that affects our energy. And so we constantly have to pay attention, we have to be interested and listen and curious what's happening with our energy. If we're feeling tired, if we're feeling uh, too, too restless or uh, basically those two. We need to learn how to work with them without judgment, without thinking something's wrong, without expectation, without, without uh, giving ourselves a hard time. I'm tired. My energy is low. That may have, There are many reasons why that might happen might happen from not feeling well, having, having a cold or being sick. It might happen for so many different reasons. So we just attend to that. We listen to that. What do I need to do to help rebalance my energy? In a, in a, in a meditative practice, sometimes when we're just, the mind is very sinking and, and we're losing a lot of energy, sometimes maybe we just need to rest for a little while but sometimes maybe we need to arouse more energy. So stand up, take deeper breaths, put your hand on top of your head, open your eyes, maybe take faster walks, breathe more deeply. All of that starts to bring about, rouse more energy. If we're feeling too restless or too energized, then then there's a way we need to bring a little more tranquility and calm maybe softer breaths, slowing down, opening up the awareness, holding ourselves with a more kind, compassionate uh, attitude, noticing the kind of thoughts that we're having that might be uh, aggravating our restlessness and, and, and maybe being a little bit more determined not to indulge or dwell in those thoughts. It's really working with our energetics so that more and more we come into a, a quality of balance as we do that the there's more availability there's more resources for our awareness so we're actually creating the conditions we're generating the conditions for uh for more ease for more contentment more clarity more wisdom more happiness So there's actually a kind of art. There's an art to this. There's an art to working with. Without judgment, without this expectation because we can get so uh, hard on ourselves just because we're tired or because we're agitated or restless. But when we can just look at that without that uh, uh, extra layer of judgment and expectation and comparing and condemning and just say, oh yeah, just feeling tired... (laughs) I'm you know, just feeling tired. What do I need to do? How do I need to respond to this? So it's very, there's very, we might even say that as we start to be more aware, more connected, more present, then we are able to respond. We're able to take more clear action. It's not that we don't do anything. This practice isn't just about letting be. Sometimes we hear that, you know, just let it be, let it be, let it be. Actually, this practice has a lot to do about making adjustments. Just continue making little adjustments. If I'm feeling, just some of the things that I just said, you know, if I'm feeling too restless, maybe I need to slow things down a little bit more. If I'm feeling too sleepy, maybe I need to rouse things up. So sometimes it's not just, on the uh, micro level, sometimes it's on a macro level. We have to make different choices in our day. The way that, how how are we applying our energy in a day? Maybe we Maybe we're striving too hard. Maybe we have to loosen up, maybe just soften up a little bit, maybe we're trying too hard. But maybe we're too lax, maybe we're not really paying much attention or we're just off in our thoughts and we're just getting distracted and you know maybe we need to bring a little bit more energy and intention and effort to to our practice. And so in this way you know we're, we're, we're making clear and wise choices for for how we're directing our energy. So this is really the key in the practice. It's It's through this Mindfulness and investigation and energy—we're turning the mind towards liberation. We're turning the mind towards uh, in the in the service of liberation, and we're really keeping that in the forefront. So that whatever whatever's happening, whether thinking or feeling or sensing or or remembering or judging or or uh, fantasizing like, how, where's, how can I hold that? How can I work with that? So that, that the awareness continues to stay steady and firm, present, really bringing that right into the forefront. And when, we, when I speak about this, I'm really speaking about intention. And this being new year's and we're getting close to new year's eve i kept thinking it was tonight but it's actually tomorrow night is really a lot about intentions you know and setting intentions and and intentions really has to do with directing our energy because our energy follows our intention just says intent intentions away arouses and awakens energy so in from a dharmic perspective we have to be pretty thoughtful about how we're directing our intentions. Because it's pretty likely that the way that we direct our intention is what we're going to get. Because our, our, that's how we're, we're, we're directing our efforts and our energy and our thoughts and our actions are going to bring certain results. So... I like to think of intention kind of as a, a, a holding a bow and an arrow with a with a, the the bow kind of aiming aiming at a target. So the target is what I want, kind of what my intention, what I'm aiming at. Like I want that thing. Like I want, I want to um, I want to be able to practice well. I want to be able to really put in my time and my efforts and my diligence. So in a way, it's like pulling that that the bow, and aiming at the target. That's the intention. And it has a lot of energy. And I aim and I see if I can just keep going after that target, after that goal. Because it has meaning, because it is, is important to me. And, and I keep putting my effort and my intentions to see if I can make that happen. That's the energy, it has a lot of energy for us. But the important thing in a dharmic perspective is there's another side. We can't just keep setting intentions because there are so many factors that we often don't get what we want. Just because we set an intention doesn't mean we're going to get it. So the other side of the coin, intention being one side, the other side is the letting go. Letting go of the outcome, letting go of the result. So every time I pull that bow and, and arrow back and I aim, I also have to let go of hitting the target of getting what I want. And they work together, intention and letting go, intention and letting go. But just because I don't get what I want doesn't mean that I stop, uh, stop aiming my intentions. We can get frustrated, we can get hopeless, we can, we can uh, get disappointed, and we can give up. But then nothing's going to happen. We got to keep putting the energy out, keep putting the effort out with the, with the clarity of our intentions. So, so having, and if we just keep letting go and letting go, nothing's really going to happen. So we do the very best we can, we set the course, we set the direction, but we don't know what's actually gonna happen. This is uh, what Thich Han says, using this kind of as an example. He says, if I lose my direction, I have to look for the North Star and I go north. That does not mean that I expect to arrive at the North Star. I just want to go in that direction. <laughs> we just have something. We have an aspiration. We have something that we're going for. And then it just sets everything on track. I think I have time just for this. Uh, um, one time, uh, wh- a while ago, my, when my father was alive, uh, um, he had a boat, he had a boat, and uh, I, uh, he, he was a very good boatsman and um, I would ride on the boat with him a lot and this one time I remember very clearly he asked me to come up and drive the boat. It was about a, a 40-foot cabin cruiser and we were out in the lake. We weren't on, you know, in, in any little canal or anything so it was just open waters and he just said, you know, he had the compass. He knew where he wanted to set the compass and, and so he had the intention and the direction. And so he said to me, just keep the needle of the compass on north. And so I sat up there, and I was running the boat, driving the boat, and what I noticed is because of all the conditions of the waves and the weather and the temperatures and all that, what happens is the boat does not stay on course, it goes a little bit to the right and then it goes a little bit to the left and then it goes a little to the right. And so my job was just to keep putting the needle on north. You would just have to veer it a bit to the right and veer it to the... But I had to do that the whole time. It did not stay any particular place. And I, having, you know, have, having been quite an active practitioner at the time, I said, that's just like the Dharma. You know, you you, you you put your, you know, your intention in a certain direction, but it doesn't stay there. You know, it goes here and it goes there. And then, you know, I get way off course over here and way off. But just keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. And then eventually, because I've got a direction and I've got a course, I get to where my destination is. I thought, wow, you know, it's like my destination is full awakening, you know, full enlightenment. So if I just keep my, keep my needle on course, and I just keep bringing it back, bringing it back, bringing it back to here, to now, with awareness, with clarity, with investigation, with energy, and it takes energy to do that. If I just kind of sat back, actually what happens if, if you just sit back and do nothing, the boat will start going in a certain direction, but if, if it's not corrected, it just keeps going in that direction and it just keeps going in circles. It'll just go in one big circle. It needs correction. So, I thought, wow, that's just like life too. You know, we just keep going in circles. <laughs> we don't do anything if there's not enough insight, awareness, wisdom to, to, to correct. To, to put us put ourselves back on course, we just go in circles. A friend of mine said if you if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. If you do what you've always done, you get what you always got. That's going in circles. So this so really what what this is about is energy for transformation energy for change that we can actually through these three factors of mindfulness, investigation, energy, we can bring about transformation. Transformation of our of our mind, of, of our own consciousness, and transformation of the global consciousness. I mean the the, the ramifications are huge when we start to really understand what it means to set something on course and stay committed to it, stay uh, 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 diligent, uh, really stay present, continue to practice the, the, the conditions that are going to bring about the results that we want. And then it's more likely to happen. There's so much power here in this system, this human system. But there's so much power here in this universal system. We haven't even begun to tap it. The potential is magnificent. But yet the only way that we can begin to tap that is through our awareness. Beginning to know and to feel and to sense the brightness the shining, bright quality, that, the illuminating quality that is here all the time. When we say to you, try not to be aware. <laughs> there it is. Like right there. If you're here and you heard that. <laughs> so that's really the invitation. The invitation of this, this time of the new year, as we as we start to set our intentions, to set our intentions for the new year, we set our intentions for the practice. We see if we can we get in touch with really what's important for us, what matters to us. This is a good time. It's a good time to 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 get in touch with that, to feel into that, you know? to to go to go deep into our hearts, into our minds, into our beings, and set a course, set a direction, and then gather, gather our resources, gather our energies, and begin to walk, walk in that direction. And hopefully that direction has to do with liberation and freedom freedom from suffering not only for ourselves but for all beings all sentient beings which is really possible it's really possible something that happens when we all come together in this way and we collect our attention together we collect our minds gather gather together collect together there's a a, a, a collective energy that we, um, we, we create. And it's here in this room as well where people have come together over the last uh, 15 years since this building was, was built. Now that uh, the power of that energy is in the walls, it's in the wood, it's in the glass, it's in the floor, it's in the bell. It's like you can feel it when you walk in the room. Just as you can feel it when you walk into any great cathedral or place of worship or place of prayer, you walk into prayer circles or place where people are gathering together. There's there's a power. There's an energy. If we're if we're sensitive. So collectively we create that, and we can create that. We can do that together. So that's. That's one of my intentions for the new year. As I sit here, it's coming to me just to gather this energy together so that not only myself, but you know, perhaps um, support or help develop this energy more fully in the world so that all beings can be free of their suffering. All beings can be liberated from their pain. So let's just sit together for a moment or two. Just feeling and sensing your own sense of presence. Curiosity, energy. perhaps being interested, even right now, how is your energy moving? And see if you can be aware with kindness, with respect. Wherever you are, whatever is happening in your mind and heart right now,